You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 64 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Monday, the 19th of November, 2018. My name is Harry Knight, and with me is Will Forster. Hello, everybody. Teal Beckenbach. Hi, guys. And Jesse Carnes. Hello, everyone. We are back from our various little travels and our little vacations and our massive building project. Uh, we're into the new resort. You guys are uh, pretty much literally dripping wet from teaching a, a lesson. We're a couple of weeks in now to the to the season. We're there. We're in. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's like... It's life-changing, isn't it? The new resort. Like, we get to walk to the beach. We don't have to take the truck or the trailer down with board in hand. It's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's all working out there nicely. So, listeners, if you haven't seen uh, seen our new toy, if you uh, if you want to jump on our, our Instagram pages, or um, I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes, and you can see the new building. Um, we're, we're pretty stoked with it. Uh, we're pretty pretty pleased with how it's all come out. We're fancy now, guys. We are fancy now. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, I'm sure Rue will want to uh, do a bit more of a, a deep dive into it, um, and he will be back next episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and how about you guys? We all, I think all four of us actually ended up in Europe without ever seeing each other. Exactly. Yeah. Will and I went to the wonderful lands of Skegness. It mm-hmm. was beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Till you went down to Cornwall? I did. I was at the satellite project we put on in Cornwall in near Constantine Bay, mm-hmm. actually. Um, What's the beach next to Constantine? Tre- nope. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Well, there's one yeah. called Treonin, too. Treonin. Treonin's to the south and Boobies is to the north. Is, yeah. it, is it after the bird, the booby? The booby it, bird. It probably is after the booby bird. What's kind of crazy, though, is it's really just one beach. It just has like a pinnacle of tiny rocks that point out. Until you get to high tide. Yeah, and then, then it becomes completely two separated. beaches. But, <laughs> well. Uh. Um, so how did, you, uh, how did you find Cornwall Teal? I thought it was really cool. And it was pretty cold as well. But I was surprised at how clear the water is over there. When I thought of England, I thought it was going to be like Jacksonville kind of nasty brown water and it was top to bottom crystal clear which was pretty darn awesome yeah it's not like that always but it, we do get a lot of a lot of nice clear clear days there yeah, yeah the waves looked super fun from all the the social media shots that Callum and marine produced in the water I, I saw the water and i was like did they photoshop that so mm-hmm. it's no. good to know that they didn't that was legit and it was cool we went to a bunch of different beaches so i think it was really nice for the guests that came to experience that. And for, I mean, for me personally, I thought it was very nice to experience the different beaches there and not just surf the same one over and over. And you got to see a different part of the coastline and drive on these crazy tiny roads that y'all have over there. I love that you just said y'all have. Like really bring the Southern girl over there. You know, from Florida. Um, Yeah, these roads, let me describe it for you guys because there's these things called hedges, or so I'm told, and they're made out of, is it slate? Is it the rock? Well, no, so so it's it's, uh, the, the hedges are the bushes. And then there's walls underneath them. But but what there also is, is the roads are so old and they've been driven on for so long before they got tarmac that they've actually sunken down. So they're lower than the fields ah. around them. So you get these like sunken lanes. Um, yeah. 
Well, so these sunken lanes that you're driving on are supposed to be wide enough for two cars. And the cars in England are way smaller than what I'm used to in the States anyway. But you literally are driving down this road that I kid you not looks like a one lane road. And you have another car coming at you and you have these big uh, stone walls on either side. And there's not enough room for both of these cars to go. So you have to, one of you has to go in reverse until you find a wide enough spot to pass each other. Um, so Marina and I had quite the experience driving about there. Um, I don't know how Tommy was driving the big van the entire time with guests and with boards on the roof. It was, it was eye-opening. Well, see, sure. Tommy grew up down there. That's true. That is true. So he's there. had experience. We're used to that. Yeah, you develop a sixth sense. You know what's around the corner, <laughs> even if you can't see it. Yeah. Mm, the car yeah. coming around. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would use, what did, remember when we were there? The you would use the force. Yeah. <laughs> you just know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will picked me up from the airport once and he was like, I'm just going to use the force to find our way back home. I was like, hmm, yeah. okay. <laughs> and we were in a little Fiat 500 too, fitting for the roads. Yeah, the roads the roads in the UK are a little on the narrow side. They're beautiful, though. Um, the other thing that I really like is that coastal path mm -hmm. you guys have. Um, that thing is exquisite. The, the you're literally walking along this. This is what I did midday just to get a little bit warm after being in the chilly waters. Is I'd go for a walk, and you're looking over these sheer cliff faces into this blue water and it just it's breathtaking it was mm. very cool so yeah for listeners that don't know if you're looking at a map of the uk cornwall is a, a county and it takes up the whole of the kind of peninsula that's down in the southwest corner and there is a footpath that goes all the way around the outside actually of, of four counties of somerset uh, devon cornwall and uh, then back into devon and then into dorset and i think it's, it's 500 miles all the way around but uh, yeah, it's it's and it, it literally just hugs the coast and goes in and out of all the coves and up and over the cliffs and it's it's pretty brutal walking sometimes because it is very up and down it's very sort of vertical hiking but it, it it's very very pretty. Yeah. I like the kissing gates. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So that I had some trouble with those kissing gates. <laughs> <laughs> Who were you following? <laughs> you know the sheep. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> I, the thing that happened is one of the gates, Marina and I were going on a hike and we couldn't figure out how to get the latch undone. Mm -hmm. We literally spent like five minutes just fiddling around with it and finally got it. And then we had to try to shut it again. And it was just, it was a process. <laughs> it's like a hike and a Mensa problem. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. Well, I, I was also in uh, in the UK. I was I was a little busy the week that you guys were in Cornwall because I went on a canal boat through the Welsh mountains, which was, was quite good fun for my dad's 70th. It, again, I guess for, for listeners that don't know, in the UK, we have these, these really narrow gauge canals all the way through the country that kind of predate the railways. Um, there's this whole network of canals for moving coal and wool and raw materials around the country. And they still exist today, but they're so narrow. So the, the boats, you, you can only have a maximum width of, I think, I think it's about six foot that you can, you can have width wise, but they go through some really pretty areas. So we, we, we were using the boat to go hiking out in the, the Welsh mountains, which was kind of fun. It looked awesome. I saw pictures from Paige and your family. Yeah, it was very pretty. It was, it was what my dad wanted to do for his 70th birthday. So it was, it was my parents and then me and me and my girlfriend and my sister and her boyfriend and 
yeah, all living on this little boat. So how long is the boat? I know it's six feet wide. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite long. So I think I think the one we were on was like fifty or sixty foot or something. Like it, they're super long, um, but you've got like a top speed of four miles an hour or something. So you really just chug along, and uh, um, you don't tie up to a marina for the night. They just give you two bits of rope and two metal stakes, and you just hammer them into the into the bank and sleep wherever you want to sleep. That's awesome. It's kind of cool. Sleep in front of a pub. Yeah, there are a lot of pubs along the way, which is quite nice as well. <laughs> Makes it convenient. It was very convenient. Yeah, and and you guys have also moved into your new house. Yeah, very excitingly. Yes, it's so awesome. When did we? I forgot. When did we? Yeah, you guys have kind of set records for the quickest buying of an empty lot to moving into a finished. When did you? When did you guys buy the lot? We closed in May, and you moved in October first. So that's, cool. that's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not messing around. No, it was against all recommendations. Yeah, yeah. And well, you, he turned thirty on October first. Mm -hmm. Congratulations! Thank you. Good birthday present. Yeah, yeah. In our first house. Yeah, <laughs> we had a house party and Will's thirtieth birthday party mm -hmm. on the same day. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure, but it was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was cool. a lot of pressure released. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think yeah. good cause for celebration. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because living in a Costa Rican house, like our house that we rented before, it was like maybe ten years old, and like the jungle just basically took over, and the landlords didn't really want to put much money back into the rental house that we were in, and so being in your own house now. Like you're and realizing that the jungle can easily take it over. We're so precious about the house, aren't we? Like mm -hmm. I clean more now, you guys. Will probably <laughs> likes that. Um, and perhaps disagrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> clean more than the old house. Maybe it's not as much as you want. <laughs> Spicy. Yeah. No, that's okay. I agree with that statement. That's all right. I'm locking that down. Yeah. <laughs> We've got that recorded, Will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On record. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's it's amazing. And uh, one of the coolest things about the property is we're right across the street from my horse, Ozzy. And I know you listeners know that I'm obsessed with animals and especially horses and you, you're not always right across the street from your horse Ozzy yeah I, I see a lot of pictures of him in your garden yeah he's always over yeah he hangs Very out good. a lot <laughs> he's our um he's our landscaper and our fertilizer so <laughs> he likes to hang out and it's really cool isn't it like we'll be doing the dishes cleaning as I'm not and Ozzy will be hanging out and I'm like waving up at Will through the window and it, I don't know it's really really special yeah mm -hmm. it's awesome Very cool. Very cool. And now, uh, because planning a house wasn't quite enough, you're, 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 you're deep into the wedding planning? Yeah. A little bit of advice for anyone out there. Don't build a house and plan a wedding within the same year. It's way too stressful. Um, <laughs> but luckily, Will sort of planned out the house and kind of took over that job. And uh, I'm on wedding duty. Which I think I planned that a long time ago, too. <laughs> I think you enjoy it yeah. thoroughly. Yeah, for sure. The search for cover bands is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> very good. So when's the, when's the big date? Uh, February 26th. Very good. Very yeah. exciting. So exciting. We're going to actually have it at the new resort. Woo-woo. So should be awesome. Yeah, exciting. And, and so, yeah, second, second big family event at the resort. Because um, for, for listeners that don't know, to open the new resort, we, we 
did a test week and had all of our families come out and, and stay. And Will, your parents came out. My parents yep. came out. Uh, Jesse, your brother came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we could have filled the resort with friends and family and then uh, tried to see what would break. Yeah. Uh, and it was quite lucky that we did that because it turns out quite a lot of stuff broke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we were able to get it all sorted and, and sort of figure out the... Uh, various intricacies and problems but yeah no it was it was super fun keith my brother he got a lot of like new information from asher and then will taught amelia who's his life partner um and yeah she had a great time and then your dad harry just rocked rocked the boat and was out in every session and he's 70 so he's basically my new hero in life and my my dad is a big child yeah yeah him and tommy had a good time and your mom did too didn't she yeah i think so yeah my mom and will's mom hung Mm -hmm. out in the team bodyboard and team white wine spritzers in the hot tub (laughs) (laughs) i was i was gonna say it was awesome getting to know everybody's families and see where they come from and see that the apples don't fall far from the tree yeah (laughs) good times for sure yeah and then too you went through you also went to portugal ah yes so after cornwall asher and i went over to portugal and that's my first time ever going to that country and we stayed in aracera beautiful place what was very cool is while we were there they were having a the qualifying series event. Mm-hmm. So I got to surf next to Sebastian Zietz out in the lineup and just sit in awe at how he was doing backside turns. Like it was, it was something to behold and the food there phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I definitely have it on my plan to go back there hopefully next September. Yeah. It's very cool. Being in Europe while the world tour and the, you know, all the contests are on is super fun. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the episode, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun place to be. Did I ever tell the story? I don't know if I've told it on the podcast when Danny, our resort manager and I went to Portugal together and we flew at the same time that the contest was ending in France and starting in Portugal. And when we were flying on the airplane, we had Jordy Smith like right in front of us and Julian Wilson, who is, I'm his biggest fan, uh, to the like left of us. And Danny and I were just like freaking out the whole time. We were like, oh my God, do I look over there? Where do I look? What do I do with my hands? I don't know. We just sort of sit here. Uh, Julian, if you're listening to this, Jesse was in seat E12. It's E12. (laughs) (laughs) They sent you the ginger ale. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Back to, back to surfing. <laughs> it was very cool. And Asher was a great person to travel with from the standpoint he is all about just up at six. We're out in the water surfing. And I actually surfed um, some waves that I probably wouldn't have surfed if I had gone <laughs> solo. Um, so I definitely pushed my boundaries out there, which was very cool and intimidating at the same time. Before we roll into the news, just a, a quick correction. Um, back in episode 50, um, we were just kind of following up. We did a review of, of Cyrus Sutton's uh, movie Island Earth, and we, we mentioned that he was going to be working with um, a journalist called Brooke Burrell on a future project, and uh, they are not working together anymore, and uh, asked me to just make that statement. So there we go. Into the news. So the two big stories I think that, that really caught my eye was, first of all, the new wave pool that's, that's opened in northeast Australia, this is the, the Surf Lake, is the most incredible steampunk-looking device I have ever seen in my life. It looks incredible. Not necessarily for the quality of the waves, but it, it just, 
like as a piece of 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 machinery and industrial art it's just incredible it definitely reminds me of the movie Mad Max, like yeah. something from that era. Yeah, there should be like flames coming out the top and someone just playing a massive guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen there, but it did. Give them a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, for listeners, if you haven't seen it, it's basically like this huge plunger that that slams down into into the middle of a lake and then the waves obviously radiate out in a circle and they've 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 then designed the banks there's there's kind of think five spots around this circular lake where the waves then break they're only running it pretty small at the moment there's been a few videos that have been released of them testing it and it, they're testing it fairly small my understanding is if you if you watch the videos um there's basically a big high pressure I don't know whether it's hydraulic or pneumatic or whatever, but a big high pressure ram that forces that whole thing to be lifted up and then it falls back down under its own weight, which displaces the water. And what you then have to do is get that piston working in time with the waves. And if you get the timing wrong, it doesn't work. And if you get the timing just right, it starts to sort of build and amplify on the on the waves. So is it similar? Did they take kind of the similar idea of when those um, ice blocks break? From the glaciers. Yeah, I guess and, it's I guess it's a very similar principle. Okay. Yeah. It looks similar in the video where those sheets just fall and then they create that that wave coming through. Yeah. Yeah. Very Pretty much awesome. so. Uh, well, yeah. It, it it certainly is an interesting idea. You know, you've got you've got that one plunger drops down, and I think on 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 what is their test facility, it creates ten ten usable waves because because a lot of them are left have a left and a right on them. So. And it's going to produce sets. So, yeah, I think the the idea is to get the best out of it. And again, I don't know that the video shows shows this, but apparently the best the way that you get the best out of it is to create sets and then let the water settle and mm-hmm. then create a set and let the water settle. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see more footage from that from that wave and and just see what it can offer because the short clip that I did see on it like looks like it has some potential <laughs> and it looks intimidating. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> well, just that yeah that big plunger going up and down. Yeah. That, that, uh, yeah, just looks amazing. Anyway, the other piece of news was also uh, wave park related. Over the summer, a surfer very sadly died from a pretty gnarly amoeba. Um, and the suspicion is that he may have, have got it uh, while surfing at the BSR uh, park in Waco, which would be super, super unfortunate. They've done certain tests. Tests haven't necessarily come back positive for that amoeba, but I believe they have come back positive for organisms that are associated with it and so there's nothing very conclusive but yeah just i guess a worrying example of what potentially you know freshwater wave parks might create and it i guess it do you remember a couple of years ago when the wave garden one opened in austin Mm -hmm. and then they had to shut because the the local council were were trying to force them to have really high water cleanliness standards Mm. and i guess this is this is this is why. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one with these huge, huge bodies of water that some of these wave pools are, uh, are using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a lot of questions about it just from guests, and they were like, "Is it because of the blue dye that they put in it?" But it's due to like heat and lack of chlorine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because that happens a lot in Florida, doesn't it? Yeah, it happens in a lot of the um, the lakes. That's why a lot of times when I would do triathlons, they'd cancel the swim because the water temperatures would heat up too much and you'd get a lot of bacteria that would then um, grow. And so I'm curious as to how they're going to regulate that because especially in Texas, you have temperatures of over 100 degrees for extended periods of time. That's 
that's a petri dish at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. They were trying to determine if it came because he was at Six Flags um, the week before going there. And I was like, what a good week because Six Flags <laughs> and then a wave park. Yeah. Um, but he went to Six Flags and they were determining if it was there, but they finalized, um, what is it called? The control. The Center of Disease and Control? CDC. CDC, yeah. yeah. They determined that it actually was, yeah, the Wave Park, which is pretty sad. Pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah. very unfortunate. Okay, so our first kind of big feature now that we're back. For for regular listeners, you will know that uh, the last episode that we recorded before we all went away, in between us recording it and me getting it all edited and, and released, the WSL made probably the biggest and most important announcement in in recent surf history which was the the announcement of equal prize money and pay for female athletes so so jesse you've you've been sort of keeping track of this a little bit for us yeah so teal and i obviously like harry just said like did um we met up with bonnie and and we talked about big wave surfers for for women and we were kind of like let down a little bit by that. And we were like listening to the struggle about how they had to live these like two lives and, you know, they couldn't really train and and put time into big wave surfing because honestly they couldn't afford it, you know, to make a life career. And, um, yeah, so that was like a little sad. And now, especially for the big wave surfers, because I mean, they deserve it the most because they're risking their lives every single day to catch these huge waves. And, um, they're struggling just to keep that passion into the sport. So it's great to hear that the WSL is not only just doing the professional girls on the CT, but also the big wave surfers as well. Well, they're doing all of it, yeah. which is amazing. That's the first sport that allows for the equal pay yeah. for women. Yeah. So it's the first and only U.S.-based global sport um, to offer equal prize money. And I think it's like one of the first internationally as well. You know, this was kind of inspired by the one uh, photo that went viral from the South Africa Billabong contest of a man and woman surfing the same waves. And she was, she had a check in her hand and it was like, I don't remember. Hers, hers was for 4,000. 4, hers was for 8,000. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, well, that's cool. And then that started to go around. But then I think weeks later, this announcement about equal pay came out. Yeah. So this is uh, just, just to clarify the exact statement is, is that, um, the WSL is going to award equal prize money to male or female athletes for every WSL controlled event in the 2019 season and beyond. Um, so that's going to include the uh, Big Wave World Tour events. It's going to include the CT World Tour events, and it'll include the QS qualifying events all the way down to the 1000s. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, That's a, a pretty huge uh, thing. In fact, to quote Sophie Goldschmidt, who's the the WSL's current CEO. Uh, This is a huge step forward in our long-planned strategy to elevate women's surfing, and we're thrilled to make this commitment as we reveal our new 2019 schedule. This is the latest in a series of actions that the WSL has undertaken to showcase our female athletes from competing on the same quality waves as the men to better locations and increased investment and support. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, thank you, Sophie, if you're listening, if you listen to our podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for everything you do. Um, I didn't realize that she was one of the most powerful women in international sports, rated on the top 15 by Forbes. That's amazing. So, thank you, Sophie. You're, you're a pretty badass woman and an inspiration. Making moves, lady. Yeah. So I know it's old news, but I think the 
this should be talked about all the time. And I think that it's going to be marked down in history. And I'm really, really looking forward to the future, you know, um, just seeing how young girls can then develop and make this an actual professional career. They can get paid well, you know, travel more with that if they're getting paid the same as the guys. And, you know, I, I, I kind of went down that, that negative path too, when this came out and I was looking at comments on like STEM magazine and Facebook and seeing a lot of the negative feedback from this. And I was a little disappointed because some of the guys were saying, oh, well, you know, men surf bigger waves and, or whatever, better waves or something like that. But at the 2009 Huntington Beach Pro, they're surfing the same waves and the men were rewarded $100,000 uh, for this one contest. And Courtney Conalog was rewarded 4500 But someone came along and just basically said, okay, well, we can up that a little bit to ten grand, Like, oh, cool. Thanks, guys. So I think Courtney, you know, she was pretty obviously stoked about this change for the same contest the men got a hundred grand and the women got four and a half grand. yeah it was the u.s open that's not even that i mean what would four and a half, if that's your winnings why even enter the contest what are you going to be able to cover you uh, maybe a couple flights yeah and know? luckily courtney lives there but for the other girls who are traveling mm-hmm. from all over it's yeah. just a little ridiculous yeah. so pretty bad yeah. took took nine years to uh get it so it's equal now which is great yeah but nine years nine years is a long time <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> well so one of the i guess one of the sort of counter arguments that's come up a little bit is the the sort of discussion between um parity and and equality and and you know that there are uh less athletes on the women's world tour and this is true in a lot of women's events you know the women's event at wimbledon has a much smaller field than the men's event at wimbledon so the men play more games uh, than the women do. And so, in fact, I believe, although the prize purse for the women at Wimbledon is lower, the winning per match to get all the way through to the final and win the event, the winning per match is actually higher than the men's because the men will have to play more events. So that will be interesting to see whether, as part of this sort of push for equality, the WSL goes for, it's what, 16 women on the on the world tour at the moment versus 36 men whether they'll try and adjust that as well, whether it's by, by reducing the number of men on, on the men's world tour or increasing the number of women. I would like to tour. see an increase of women. Cause I know there's so many girls on like um, the QS and stuff that would do really, really well if given that opportunity and just reading, you know, there, this is just when I'm bored, I like look up all of their lives on Instagram and the girls really struggle to get back on tour every year. Like they're, they have to be to make it to the next year. They would have to be in the top 10. Right. So I think if they maybe push that number up of women, like 36 women, that it would maybe not have them stress about doing so well in each contest and, or just add more competition. You know, if, if you're worried about the purse for, for the amount of people, just add more girls. It'd be great to see more girls surfing. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing and the other argument is that I saw on my continuous scroll through all these comments was, well, the girls better own up to this. And I was thinking in the back of my head, well, they haven't financially been supported to own up to this. Imagine like if you're getting paid a higher wage, you're going to be able to travel to those bigger places 
or have the money to pay for a coach to train you, but they never really have gotten the opportunity financially and as well as from a support standpoint to push themselves. Well, and and the the big wave surfers hadn't been allowed to compete in the contests up until recently either. So I think I think that the surf industry is moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um big time. Yeah. And it's exciting because it it hasn't always been that way. I I know when we competed, I can't speak for you, but I used to feel that in the smaller local contests, the the women were kind of put on the back burner a lot of times and I'm wondering if now with how the CT's moving if we're going to see some changes in the local contest too. Yeah, I hope so. Because whenever the wind would go on shore or the tide would go too low, they'd be like, all right, let's send the women out. <laughs> the waves are bad. Your turn. <laughs> like, oh, thanks guys. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, well, you know, the men's purse is more, so they deserve it better. And you're just like, okay, well, thank you. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, this is so great. And I, not only for surfing, but I hope that this sort of spirals into other sports and, you know, that there's just equal treatment and equal pay for everyone. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. Next up, just obviously while we've been off air, we've had quite a few WCT events on the subject of the the WSL and their, their, their new prize purse. We had the men and women both competing at the Wave Ranch up in uh, California, and then the the Quicksilver and Roxy Pro in France, and the men then went on to Portugal. All three, I thought, were really, really interesting events. The Wave Ranch event from the men and the women was obviously a very, very different format to the standard. It was a lot more like um, a skating or a snowboard halfpipe uh, contest where, where they had you know a fixed number of runs, a fixed number of waves to try and get the best scores there was qualifying round and then the the top athletes from the qualifying round went through to to compete on a on the next round and and for the final win i actually thought i mean what did what did you you guys get to watch any of it yeah what did you you guys think of it i loved it it just was different from a normal surf contest um i like how the replays were just so detailed and how you could see in the future maybe not right now how you can really start to add technique, which is one of the things that we're so passionate about at Sir Simply, um, and really start seeing like how much angle they have on rail and all that stuff and start adding that into the competition. But I loved how it was laid out. You know, you could have replays and then really slow motion. And I know that they do this with regular contests, but it was just the same wave. So it was cool to also see how each surfer surfed that yeah. wave in different ways. No, I thought I thought that a lot of the problems that they had through the Founders Cup with stuff not syncing up quite right mm. and and you know replays kind of overlapping with live waves and things like that. Like they they obviously brought that whole production value much much tighter for this event. Yeah, and it was you know you got the wave, you got the replays, you got the adverts, you got the next wave, the replay, the advert, and it it, it worked pretty well in that in that respect. Yeah, I thought it was really cool how instead of going for the barrel section at the end, it started changing into what other maneuvers can we do in this section, Yeah, which I'm curious to see the progress that's going to happen on how these guys surf this same wave and, and do different maneuvers on it over time, how, how far they can push the limits. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I thought that was one of the really interesting things. And actually, 
since Rue is not here to counter-argue me. Because <laughs> this is something we've been Uh-oh. talking about for ages. But, but I thought it was really interesting how the barrel lost its importance. Like, yeah. the barrel was so reliable and so dependable that guys were pulling in and getting, you know, nine, ten-second tubes and scoring threes and fours for it, you know? And, and it, it, it once you removed... Because even at a really reliable wave, like Chopu say, like, there's still... You've got to pick the right wave. You've got to see the right wave coming. You've got to make the right decisions. And, and at, at the wave port, it's just, well, every single wave, like, when you get to that post, the wave's going to barrel. Right. And it, it it was interesting how that barrel became unimportant and really it all came down to the airs in that end section. The guys that were getting the best scores were the guys that just sacked off that last barrel section, pumped through it, got a ton of speed and then launched. Um, yeah, and, and and then notably, you know, Gabriel Medina and Philippe Toledo were, were the one and two and, and were dominant throughout and they were the two guys that really, they never even had a go at getting into that, that end section barrel. Yeah. I liked seeing them fall. (laughs) (laughs) Did you feel some satisfaction in that? (laughs) No, I just really enjoyed it. I liked being, seeing them make mistakes. You know, we've all surfed that wave and seeing the pressure come down onto their shoulders and, and, and falling like they're normal humans too, you know, they're normal humans and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to succumb to pressure. And especially in that, that sort of stadium atmosphere. But the other interesting thing, one, you know, if you know that you've got two lefts, two rights, and you've already got a good score. Well, you know that this one's like, you might as well go big and you, you're guaranteed the wave. You know, in, in the ocean, you can paddle out and sit there for 30 minutes and not get a set wave come through. Yeah. And in this event, you're guaranteed, you know, your first run, you might as well go big because you've always got the second run to back it up on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, super, super interesting to uh, to see that. So, yeah, in the men's, Gabriel Medina won the event uh, with Philippe coming in second. In the women's, Carissa Moore and Stephanie Gilmore were just dominant throughout the event. And, and actually, although everyone kind of felt like it was going to be Stephanie's game, I mean, Carissa was the person to beat right from the first time she hit the water. She was so fluid and so much more powerful on that wave than anybody else was. Yeah, she's such an inspiration. That is her wave. Like just seeing her pre-surf that wave or even in a contest, it just, it fits her surfing so well. Um, So at the end of that event, everyone jumped on airplanes. That was in September. Everyone then jumped on planes and flew over to France. And the conditions were fantastic. I mean, France can be a little hit and miss. The sandbars are never the same for, for more than a couple of weeks. They get moved around all over the place. The swell is, you know, you get what you get. Having gone from that that man made perfection of 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 the wave pool, but the the event in France, I mean, there were pumping pumping waves, big, you know, well overhead, hitting beautifully groomed sandbars, big barrels, big power surfing. It was it was a fantastic uh, competition to watch the men's and the women's. And Julian Wilson won. Biggest fan right here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, you know, coming into the back half of the tour, it is a lot about the world title. Philippe Toledo and Gabriel Medina had kind of been out in the lead. Um, Julian Wilson caught back up with that win. In the men's, Ryan Callahan was really the the sort of standout of the event, wildcarded in and went on an absolute tear. Took down Philippe Toledo in round three. And then Julian Wilson, Gabriel Medina semi-final was... I mean, possibly one of the best heats of the year so far. Um, and the the 10-point ride of Julian Wilson's, if you haven't seen it, listeners, you definitely uh, want to go and pull that up. I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes. But 
I mean, really beating Gabriel Medina at his own game. You know, huge rotational aerials. Yeah. Very, very well-deserved win from Julian Wilson. So that was fantastic. Ryan Callahan got all the way through to the final as well. So that's pretty uh, pretty strong performance from the uh, from a wild card. And very similar in the women's event. Uh, Courtney Conlog won, took Steph Gilmore out, which pushes the women's world title over to Maui, which I'm very pleased about because I think that Maui event is fantastic. It's amazing. Um, I really hope you get good serve for that. Um, but yeah, uh, Macy Callahan, no relation. Different spelling. Uh, also made it through to the final as a wild card. So that was pretty awesome. Again, great conditions, big, big waves, big power surfing from the women. Fantastic to watch. Not to mention Courtney came back from an injury too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of first first win back from the uh, from the injury she had earlier in the year. So yeah, yeah very cool to uh, very cool to see. And very very dominant again, dominant performance. Right. Um so the, the final event was that the uh, the men went to Portugal. Again, huge pumping waves at Super Dubos for the, the <laughs> early rounds. I mean, that that's an intimidating place to paddle out in. And it was big. I, I mean, it, it kind of puts it in perspective. You know, um, Adriano de Souza was forced to pull out in round two. He blew his MCL paddling out. Not surfing, just duck diving a wave and blew his MCL. And there were some brutal wipeouts. Not that the waves were anywhere near that size in Super Tubos when I went there mm-hmm. while I was in Portugal, but just the fact that how shallow that wave breaks is just insane as well. So getting into barrels on that shallow of sand is pretty incredible. That video of Adriano like reminds me of you, Teal, because he like blew out his MCL. And then he like tried to paddle back out. Yeah. I saw that. I was like, <laughs> well, that's no, a he, teal move. He did. He paddled back out and, and stood up on a he wave tried, and his knee yeah. just kind of collapsed under him. And yeah. he, he couldn't do it. Wow. But yeah, fair, fair play. Beast uh, mode. Yeah. I heard some rumors that like around that contest that the guys were talking about how terrified they were, like just paddling out or competing in those conditions that they said it was like the heaviest beach break conditions that they've experienced. So yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I, it was very, very cool. Um, anyway, all of the world title contenders got uh, got taken out at various stages. Theoretically, Gabriel Medina could have wrapped it all up in Portugal, uh, but he got taken down by Italo Ferreira, who went on to win the event. And so that, again, that pushes the men's world title onto Hawaii for the, uh, for the pipe event. So that is going to be a good couple of contests coming up. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, so excited. Super, Popcorn super fun. Nights. So yeah, we've got the, the women's event. Uh, we've got the Maui Pro, which starts November 25th, uh, so next week. And we've got the men's Pipe Masters, which is on December the 8th. In the women's event, if Steph can make it to the semifinals, then she's got the world title. She's got a good lead over Lakey Peterson. But if Steph falls in the quarters and Lakey Peterson wins, that'll actually be an absolute dead heat and they'll have to have a surf off. Which would be pretty cool. That could get really exciting. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously, if if Steph falls earlier than the quarters and and Lakey goes on to the win, then uh, then then Lakey will take the the world title. If Steph wins a world title, she'll have that will be her seventh world title, and that will tie her up with uh, Lane Beachley. Mm-hmm. She's the only yep. hang on the only other person with seven world titles. The only other female with seven world titles. Yeah, just double checking. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Harry Knight. <laughs> and she'll tie Michael Schumacher with his Formula One wins. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. There we go. 
Um, for the men, uh, Gabriel Medina's in first and Julian and Felipe are tied for second place. So if Medina can make the final, then he wins the title as well. If Medina falls in the semi-finals, then Julian or Felipe uh, need to win the event to take the title. So all to play for. If Steph and Lakey end up in a surf-off, they should allow like tributes. Ooh. What do you mean? Like someone can surf in their place. (laughs) You know, like... Like Game of Thrones. Like Mixed Mum or something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hunger Games, yeah. Hunger Games style. Yeah, I think they could spice it up a little bit. Because they're both already good. Oh, let's see some entertainment. Yeah, you know, (laughs) what's that thing where they have like the stick with like the two? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. They could like each other Two sub squatches going straight at pipe with one champion on each side. (laughs) Well, see, Rue had the idea of if you've got a nice A-frame like pipe back door, Mm -hmm. then you you have both people paddle in with a big bungee rope tied to them and see who can get the furthest Ah. before they pull the other person off. That'd be a great decider. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a really good one. Yeah. Wave jab. They both go in the same direction. Go, go in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it doesn't come to that, yeah. but that would be very entertaining. Yeah. Maybe we started a new sport. Um, the final story for me from these last couple of months on the CT, and certainly in France and Portugal, was that it really came down that the, the really exciting heats to watch were when you had that world title on the line, when you saw those best surfers, or when you had lower seeds going on a real charge and taking down the higher seeds. Certainly through the Wave Ranch contest, you know, it's really interesting to see the early rounds, the early qualifying rounds that happened on the Thursday and the Friday. Like the viewing figures were so much lower than what happened when the second round of qualifying came through and it was all the high seeds. And that's when you really started to see the viewers and then it was those final events. So kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about whether you like increase the number of surfers on Mm. the women's tour or Mm. you decrease the number of surfers on the men's, you know, going by the viewing figures, it would almost seem better to decrease the men's field and bring them both down to that 16, 16 person field because that seems to be what everybody's actually watching. And, and, and again, barring the occasional uh, wild card or lower seed, um, Portugal, Joanne Daru, who's, who's you know, struggling for requalification, went on a tear and finished second. Uh, Ryan Callahan was a wild card in, in France. And uh, Mikey Wright in, in Portugal was a wild card and again, did, did super well. But That's very true. Like, I don't really watch the round ones. I kind of no. wait till quarterfinals. <laughs> That's <laughs> a lot of heats to get it through. It is, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it it's it's a it's an interesting one. You know, I, I almost feel like if you could if you could reduce the field in the CT, but maybe increase the importance of the QS events, because mm. there is a big disparity between what you're competing in the QS and what you end up doing in the CT. You know, almost like the the um, football soccer is in the UK where we have, you know, multiple divisions. You've got the premiership all the way at the top, but then, you know, first division is is still pretty big. And then before you drop down, you know, second, third, fourth division. So what I was trying to do with my feature this week, Harry, is actually do something similar to what you just suggested as far as try to make the viewing perhaps more interesting to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, because I'm a big Formula One fan, it's no secret, I much prefer it than surfing, but I don't have access to a Formula One car, so I can't do that. 
So that's why I surf. Anyway, <laughs> going back to competition. Now, in Formula One, there are two championships running side by side. There is a driver's championship and then there's a constructor's championship. Ooh, I like where you're going with this because I've thought this for a while. Yeah, it, it could be a good idea. It might not be a good idea at the same time. But <laughs> So in Formula One, there are 10 teams, 20 drivers. And so the teams are all up against each other and the, the highest accumulative score at the end for the teams, all 20 drivers combined, um, or, each, or two drivers combined, will win the Constructors' Championship, as well as all the drivers being against each other, each race, and whoever has the highest score at the end, they will win. Now, because I'm quite into surfboards and surfboard design, it's a little tricky with surfing to say outright who might have the best equipment, yada, 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 because there's no comparison in that regard. And so I thought it would be interesting to have both a championship tour where the surfers are against each other, like we expect, but also to have something where the board manufacturers can also compete against each other. Now, there's a, new, there's a number of obstacles in the way. For one, just the sheer amount of riders that are using the same manufacturers. Okay, and that is a little bit of an issue. Um, and actually, whilst I was going through this, the statistics, I kind of moved away from this being a piece about making surfing into a, both a constructors and a uh, championship tour. Uh, and so I started looking into actually just some of the statistics um, regarding the surfboard brands and the top 20 men and top tw 20 women. Mm -hmm. So I thought we could play a game. Okay, hope, hit me. All right, so let me pick my iPad up so no one can cheat. All right. Damn it. But this is a question game, okay? What are the three most common surfboard brands used by the top 20 men? Uh, it's got to be Lost. Okay. That's, so that's Harry's answer, Lost. Jesse? Hang on. Okay. You look like you're going to That was burst. my answer. Okay. That's why. All right. Well, you have Lost and I'll take CI. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. One more. Oh, your stuff now, too. Lost, <laughs> Channel Islands, and what do you think? The next one down, I imagine, is a big step down in terms of I bet it's like DH numbers you're close D Julian Wilson surfs for this brand JS oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah JS so the top three for the men's top 20 are Channel Islands JS Industries and Lost slash Lost Mayhem um, now out of those top 20 men 13 of the guys ride for just those three brands alright so already we've got an issue as far as having like a constructors championship now is that are they exclusively on those? Because I think I'm right in saying that Julian Wilson doesn't have a board sponsor and he jumps from one brand right. to another depending on where they're at. Whereas uh, some of the guys are specifically sponsored by those companies yeah. to surf those That those could be the case. Now, I got this information from either the WSL or the uh, surfer's website. Yeah. But that's not to say that he doesn't have more than one surfboard brand that he uses, but yeah. it was just their first listed one. Right. So that's what, what, you know, what a lot of this sort of is attributed from or, or get, got from. Mm -hmm. um, now, so out of the seven men that remain in the top 20, so with 13 of them, Channel Islands, JS and Lost, the seven remain have seven different shapers. Wow. Okay. So then the top 20 women, how many do you think ride for CI, JS or Lost out of the 20? I know a lot ride for Mayhem. A lot mm -hmm. of the women do. I would say, yeah, a lot. Half. Yeah. Yeah. Half. Ten. More than half? More 12? Than, more than half. Yeah, 12 ride for those same three shapers. So Ooh. already you've got, like, I think in total, out of the, say, the 40 surfers, in total it's 60% 
of the men and women ride for just those same three shapers. So out of the eight women that remain, there are seven different shapers. Um, so uh, Brazil Sharpai has two of the riders, uh, Tatiana and Silvana. So that's where that seven, uh, eight for seven comes in there. Do you think there is a correlation between pros using a particular shaper and that shaper's popularity? Yes, I would assume that there probably is. Okay, so can you name the top four surfboard sales this year by brand? Can I answer? Can I go first? Yeah. Just so Harry doesn't take my answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so who's in the top four out is this, of surfboard is this world, sales? Worldwide? Or, yeah. okay. uh, you know, I've no idea whether it's worldwide or US only. You hold your horses, Harry Knight. <laughs> All right. Channel Islands. That is on the list. Yes. What else? <laughs> it's obvious. We know the three. F- Firewire will be on the list. Uh, Firewire is on the list, but later down. The top is four. Paisel. On the list, but later down. He's like seventh. So the top so four. Mayhem. Yeah. JS. Yep. DHT. No. Channel Islands, JS, and Lost, Slater Designs, Sci-Fi. I oh, was, well, so wow. that's, that's Firewire. Fire, well, yeah, yeah. But um, Firewire is on there as another. As another, yeah, as a separate exactly. thing. exactly. So yeah. Slater Designs, Sci-Fi is number one. Lost, Quiver Killer is number two. Channel Islands, Fever is oh, number so three. Oh, so this was actually specific boards. Yeah, not top selling surfboards. Surfboard model, not uh-huh. make. What yeah. was number one? Slater Designs, Sci-Fi. Was number one? Yep, yeah. From Stewie Kennedy and some nice, gentle promotion it's the number one selling board i think that's great um now the trouble is to this whole feature piece is that i actually don't have a point i just (laughs) thought there were really interesting statistics that i didn't necessarily i've never seen before and i never made any comparisons so i figured instead of having a point to all this i just thought i'd give you a really interesting fact Cool. A mantis shrimp can punch with the force of a 22 caliber <laughs> bullet. <laughs> so really, we all win. We all win. Yeah. Oh my God, I just lost it. Yeah. Oh, I hope William. that was interesting to someone because it was really interesting to me. And it's not always we get to hear those sort of statistics. No, it's interesting. I, I think it's, you know, surfboard design is such a black art mm-hmm. on the world tour. Um, to the extent that that shapers will not mark up the dimensions on on boards that they give to their team riders, or will even mark them up wrong mm-hmm. and write false dimensions on the boards to throw people off. And it's like, well, how much is that really throwing somebody off? Yeah. Like, how much does that take away? And I I, I almost feel like it would be good. You know, the, uh, going for Formula One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's you know, talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, to go to Formula One, you know, the the, the commentators in the booth know so much of the details about mm-hmm. the car they can really talk to oh you know this car is going to perform well in these conditions yeah and obviously that's less of a case with the surfboards because you know that the, these guys have 150 boards a year and they'll have boards that are shaped for each specific one and mm-hmm. you know who's to say whether Matt Biolas or or Brit Merrick's going to shape a better board for that particular location it's mm-hmm. It's toss up. Yeah. But I do feel like, like I do enjoy it when, you know, they used to have, was it Pete Mel used to go around and he used to like trawl through people's lockers and kind of pull their backup board down. And, and he's a shaper. He knows his way around a board and he would talk about the board in a little bit of detail. And I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think one of the things how it enhances the sort of the, the viewer experience perhaps for Formula One is that you can, it takes away some of the, um, pressure in some or, or takes away some of the responsibility from the driver's skill and actually puts it on the manufacturer because all of a sudden say mercedes for example they now 
don't just, you know, it's not a case of them having just the single best driver. They need to have a consistently good car and it needs to be better than the other consistently good cars. Yeah. They, there's a real competition there. And I think, you know, competition breeds innovation and it does in Formula One. That's why it's the greatest sport in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be somehow applied to the, you know, competitive surf side too because we all you know why why wouldn't we want boards to be better and at the moment i think they're driven by perhaps the sales market you know what is going to be more appealing perhaps to you know a mass market and you know like you say sometimes we don't know if you know like john john's board it's the the you know the piezel board although it's you know john john's model or whatever it's not the same actually as john john's the dims are slightly different the one we can buy to the one he rides yeah you know so i think there's a bit of disparity there that doesn't have to be there not to mention the knowledge of like what board goes better in different waves, right? Like they're shaping more volume, less volume for this type of wave. Like you were saying earlier, Harry, I wish that you could watch a contest and that they go in to mm -hmm. detail about the boards like they do in Formula One. Yeah. Wink, but wink, it, nudge, nudge. But, but, <laughs> but again, even if there wasn't uh, an actual, you know, constructors championship, mm-hmm. You know, th there's no reason that you can't look at, like, the progress of, you know, all these guys that are riding Mayhems. Like, how are they doing compared mm -hmm. to the guys that are riding CIs? Like, yeah. is there, you know, how are they performing? How is the uh, Hurley team doing compared to the Billabong team and the Quicksilver team? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I think that is an interesting thing. You know, Hur Hurley as a company invests a lot of money in athlete development. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that Quicksilver and Billabong do the same thing with their guys. Like they want their athletes winning. They spend money to bring coaches in, to send people on performance clinics, to hire personal trainers. Like, wouldn't it be really interesting to see if, if across the board, if one of those companies is really doing a good job at that? Yeah, absolutely. I liked those facts. That was pretty cool. Thanks. The one about the shrimp. No, yeah. that's particularly well, the good. Statistics, though, yeah. Not the facts. I also I had another one. I was depending on what what direction the podcast went for the for the other fact. I didn't. I had a couple to choose from. You want to hear the other one? Just whilst <laughs> I here? would love to. One eighteen-inch pizza is more pizza than two twelve-inch pizzas. I've actually done the math on that. Yeah, exactly. I have all the details there, just in case just Harry in case. were to question me. No, no, no. Know. Area of a circle, squared <laughs> equation. Yeah. So there you go, listeners. Order 18-inch pizzas. Bringing it back to girl power again. Um, what's really cool is Brissa Hennessy has just qualified for the 2019 championship tour after her performance at Port Stevens Toyota Pro held in, is it Beruby Beach, New South Wales? Beruby. I want to see that written down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to have that to put a on a, a good Australian accent when you say it, and then it'll probably sound about right. <laughs> down here in Beruby. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I got that. Oh, you, no, <laughs> suddenly it sounds perfect. That yeah, it sounds does. right down yeah. in Beruby Beach. No, I'm no, not exactly. going to go. <laughs> nope. That sounds a lot like Booby Beach. <laughs> Booby Beach again. All right. Um, Booby Beach with a stutter. Boobs. Today, Junior. <laughs> so much for all that equality huh? <laughs> you're listening Goldschmidt we're sorry <laughs> sorry take back everything oh geez alright so um, Brissa Hennessy has just qualified for the 2019 championship tour after her performance at Port Stephens Toyota Pro held in Barubi Beach in New South Wales Australia and 
why this is cool is because she hails from Costa Rica and she is one of the she is the first female Costa Rican surfer to be on the championship tour. I think yeah. she is the first Costa Rican surfer to be on the championship tour because I, I don't think, think right. Carlos Muniz ever made the tour. He's he's gone in as a wild card in right. a couple of events, but I don't think he's ever actually qualified. I don't think a Costa Rican's qualified for tour. Wow. Yeah, pretty darn cool. Yeah. Super cool. Go Costa Rica. Really exciting. And she's she's 19 years old, so really really cool. I'm super stoked to see what she's she's going to do on tour this next year. And uh, I hope she really kills it. Now, you mentioned earlier about her nationality. Mm. Tell me about it. All right. So it gets interesting because she spent most of her adolescence in Hawaii, even though she claims she's Costa Rican, because I believe that she she was born here. Brissa Hennessy was born in Oahu and lives in Hawaii. But she... One of her parents must be Costa Rican. Yeah. Yeah. She does has, have Costa Rican citizenship. So what's happening, and Will and I discussed this a little bit before, is because of the Olympics having surfing in it now, it's very interesting to see how, who, what citizenship people are starting to claim mm-hmm. um, in preparation for what I, I think is in preparation for being on the Olympic team. Yeah, that's a lot like Tatiana Weston-Webb, whose her mother is from Brazil, but she grew up in Hawaii. But for the Olympics, she'll be under Brazil's flag, which is quite cool. So she's all over. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it, yeah, because uh, I think Brissa is, is, is born and raised Hawaiian. Okay. And there are definitely pictures of her from the... Um, some of the ISA World Games waving a Hawaiian flag. Mm. Um, so yeah, a, a, a tactical switch there. But um, I think Kanoa has done the same, hasn't he? Kanoa Ragashi has done the same thing, and mm-hmm. he is now not a USA surfer; he's a Japanese surfer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it when people do that. I think if you can get in the Olympics, like in the whole nationality thing, is a little bit perhaps silly in the first place, and so uh, the fact that the Olympics is ex uh, can exclude people and yet if you get the opportunity because one of your parents is from you mm-hmm. know one of the countries that needs a server to represent it i think go for it. it's great yeah yeah super cool so if costa rican government is listening and wants me to be <laughs> a fully fledged citizen <laughs> i would love it you'll go to the olympics yeah. with it yeah yeah he'll yeah. 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 drive formula one for yeah. you. Exactly. <laughs> do what you gotta do yeah. last thing then before we go uh is our what to watches um teal what have you got for us So I am recommending you check out this video of Ashley Ahina, and I may be butchering her last name. I'm sorry if you're listening. And she's just ripping on a longboard. Really, really fun. Good music with it. Um, So give it a check out. There we go. Will? Um, Well, I have two, but we've already talked a lot about cars, so maybe I'll skip the second one. Um, Steph, dry hair, twin fin, Malibu. I think that's the title of the YouTube video. Everything you ever need in a title and a video. Definitely have a look at it. Fantastic stuff. I watched it and I want to emulate her so bad on my new twin fin. Yeah, (laughs) when she ejects that guy off the wave too, I think that's (laughs) worth watching a few times. That's, uh, I feel that's a skill that you would learn if you regularly surf at Snapper Rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. The uh, lift over. Uh-huh. I remember it was one of my favorite surfs ever when I was back in Cornwall and um, got a big foamy swell board. 
and took off and was surfing across this wave and there were so many people trying to paddle in just not looking <laughs> and I literally just cruised across going nope nope nope, nope. just <laughs> lifting the nose of the board to go. I think it was about three people yeah. on the length of this ride and I felt so cool oh, <laughs> like the governor <laughs> <laughs> Jesse what have you got for us um, so I'm pretty sure you guys probably recommended this one before but I recently have been using the last clips of the Church of the Open Sky for coaching. Lauren Hill, Belinda Bags, they're amazing longboarders. And uh, yeah, I've just been inspired. And, and we had a guest come along, Marisa, a couple weeks ago. And we used a lot of their clips uh, for cross-stepping, nose riding, grab rails, stuff like that. So I've recently been re-inspired by that uh, sunset clip of them. So it's pretty awesome. Um, the whole movie is actually incredible, but... Yeah, Nathan Oldfield makes very, very pretty films. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's done a couple of films over the last 10 years or so, and I think Church of the Open Sky is the most recent one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, very, very pretty films. Right, yeah. I recently, like I said, pulled it back up, and I was like, oh my God, I forgot how good this video was, and everyone should open it back up again. <laughs> so yeah. And Harry, what's your what to watch? So my what to watch is going back to the WSL. Um like I said, when I was back in Europe, I spent a good chunk of time on a canal boat in the middle of the Welsh mountains, uh, which it turns out is not great for mobile reception uh, and not very good for watching the WSL events remotely. Um, so I didn't really get to see very much of the French event live. What I loved is that the WSL has, we, we've mentioned this a few times, the idea of just doing a really good like roundup package with all the, 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 the stories that were going on and what was happening. They've done a whole roundup video of the event. It's 45 minutes, really, really high production value, interviews with all the different people, telling the story of, of the whole contest. It's fantastic. This sounds very cool. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're brilliant. There's one problem with them. They're only putting them out on Facebook. And the WSL puts an average of 12 videos up a day <laughs> on Facebook. Oh, and no. so these are completely lost. Mm -hmm. like just with the, the basic algorithms of Facebook. I mean, I, I spend a reasonable amount of time on there. Um, Will, you're completely off social media. Nobody's getting to see these. Mm -hmm. like they're, they're brilliantly made movies. And I only found the French one by accident. I completely missed that there was a Portuguese one. There may be ones from other events, but I can't find it. took me 15 minutes going back through their videos to find these. Uh, and they're not making them front and center, which, which I think is a real shame because they're... Um, so I'm, I'm going to link to the, uh, the French one and the uh, Portuguese one. They are, unfortunately... Uh, on on Facebook, so you'll need uh, you'll need to go and do that. Those of you guys that are not uh, social media uh, advocates might uh, might struggle, but hopefully you'll be able to watch them. Uh, really, really good. Just forty five minute wrap up of of the whole event. Um, so yeah, well done WSL for producing those. Um, please put them on YouTube or something like that, <laughs> and 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 or, or something where it's going to be easier for us to you know give them their own channel on youtube or something like that yeah. so it's really easy to subscribe and follow because to be honest if, if they if, if they charged uh, a dollar a show i'd subscribe to that mm -hmm. you know to get that content and, and get you know one for the women's one for the men's for all 10 or, or 11 events or whatever it is yeah i would subscribe for that 45 minute show yeah if uh, they're making the video anyway if they're making the video yeah. anyway yeah yeah um because i thought they were fantastic yeah mm. so there we go yeah 
All right, ladies and gents, uh, that is all we've got time for this time around. For now, from all of us here, goodbye. Bye. Bye. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.